Today's reading is from John 13, and you'll find that in the Bibles in front of you on page 1079. We're reading verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he had come up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so. So, for that is what I am. Now that I, your, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Russell. Uh, If you could keep your Bibles open to um, John 13, that would be great. I'm going to pray and then we will get straight underway. Heavenly Father, thank you for scriptures. Thank you for the way they teach us about your Son. Help us to just take them deep into our hearts that we might live for his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever, uh, I don't wonder, I know you've had moments in your life where you knew that your life was about to change in a massive way and to some degree it would never be the same again. Now, I realize that sounds like the promotional ad for just about every episode of Packed to the Rafters and Home and Away or even My Kitchen Rules. You know, they say this dish of seared tuna steak with mango salsa will change everyone's lives forever. You're like, it's a piece of fish, you know. But have you had one of those genuine life-changing moments? Maybe it was um, when you moved into state or overseas. Uh, maybe it was when you got married or the day you realised your marriage was over. Uh, Maybe it was when you got made redundant. Perhaps it was your last day of high school or university, something like that. I remember the night before we had our first son, James, uh, Carolyn and I went down to Cremorne Point with some dinner from McDonald's because uh, if nothing else, I do know how to show a girl a good time. (laughs) Hopeless romantic. And uh, we just sat there looking at the lights 
um, dancing on the harbour, knowing this was our last night together, just the two of us, and that from the very next day, our lives would change dramatically and permanently. Never be as good again. I mean, never be the same again. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, that's really the kind of moment that we're at, we find in John 13 to 17, which we're going to look at across this term. Theologians call this section of John's Gospel the upper room discourse because Jesus is in an upper room with his disciples. But we've called our series One Last Night because it's the last night that Jesus has with his disciples before he goes to his execution. And you can see that time marker very clearly in chapter 13, verse 1. I'd love you to read that along with me. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So you can see in this section of John's Gospel, we're very close to the death of Jesus. His three years of public ministry have come to an end. His private schooling of the disciples almost uh, reached its climax. Literally the next day, Jesus would be dead. And this very evening, he would be arrested. Betrayal looms large in these chapters. Both Judas and Peter, betrayers, are, are feature strongly and so this section of John's gospel is rather intense but it's also rather intimate as Jesus shares a final meal with his closest earthly friends and for that reason it has quite a different feel to the earlier chapters of John that we've been looking at over the past few months and I think it really is a great mercy of God that he has preserved the details of this conversation this one last night in scripture for our benefit. It's a privilege, really, to eavesdrop in on what Jesus says to his closest earthly friends the night before he's killed. Now, folks, there's just two things today as we look at this opening section of John's Gospel in chapter 13. The first is that Jesus serves. The second is that we must also serve. It's about as basic as it gets, isn't it? Jesus serves, we serve. And as we get to this first point, it's not so much what Jesus says that's striking. It's what he does... Because as they sit down for their last supper together, John glosses over their last supper together. Unlike the other Gospels or biographies of Jesus' life written by Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh, instead, John recalls that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And it's almost as if this foot washing ceremony in John's Gospel operates in lieu of or in replacement of the last supper for the author of John's Gospel. And that's foot washing business. It's a um, very strange thing for us to understand because nobody here wants to touch anyone else's feet, do we? After all, feet are pretty gross. I mean, you just look at pictures and they're, it gets worse. Oh, the horror. Yeah, I know. There's a lady um, uh, whose daughter comes to this church and it's her business to go into nursing homes and uh, she would clean up the residents' feet and cut their toenails and all that sort of stuff. And when I heard that's what she did, I first thought, that is disgusting. And then I thought, that's actually beautiful and lovely. And then I thought, wow, that's a great business idea, isn't it? Because you'd want to get paid well, wouldn't you? Because we just don't like going anywhere near each other's feet. You know, I said this to the 8 o'clockers. They said, you know what, Scott, some people have got beautiful feet. I said, do you have beautiful feet? They're like, no. Nah. I'm like, I rest my case, Your Honour. <laughs> don't want to go anywhere near your feet. But in Jesus' day, proper etiquette or good manners demanded that when guests arrived at your house, 
Having walked the dusty streets to get there, their feet would be washed by a slave or a servant. Not a great job. Pretty humiliating. So demeaning, in fact, that Jewish servants weren't usually required to wash uh, others' feet. And so here we are at the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples, but no one is washing anyone's feet because he wouldn't do it for a peer, you know, someone who was equal to you. Uh, There they all are, all ready for dinner, all with dirty feet, until something extraordinary extraordinary happens because in verse 2, Jesus shows them the full extent of his love by taking off his smart dinner clothes, wrapping a towel around his waist and washing their feet. That's scandalous. That Jesus, a Jew, the teacher, the Lord, washes the feet of his disciples. Scandalous. And you get a sense of the scandal when Jesus comes to Peter. And and Peter's just so embarrassed, we think, that he says in verse 8, No, you're never going to wash my feet. And we think he's just sort of verbalized what all the others were thinking, but were too chicken to say. It's scandalous that the teacher should be washing the feet of the students that the the leader should be washing the feet of the followers, that the Lord should wash the feet of the subjects. Scandalous. But there is something quite profound going on. And you only pick that up when you look closely at the way that Peter and uh, Jesus interact. Peter says no to the scandal. And Jesus replies in verse 8, have a look. Unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you're not with me. Later in verse 10, he will, he will also say, you are clean. Just a couple of chapters down the track, 15 verse 3, he will say, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So w- when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it's not just an incredible act of humility and service. It's pointing to what Jesus does for his people. Cleaning their feet is symbolic of what he does to all those who turn to him in faith. That is, cleansing them, cleansing us from our sin. When you turn to Jesus in faith, humbly recognizing your need for him, he completely cleanses you from your sins. Your whole body is clean. Your soul is clean. You are wholly clean. Wonderful. It's wonderful. We all have a shower every day. I reckon that's odd given that most of us don't have lives or jobs in which we get dirty. And so I think maybe the shower isn't all about actually getting rid of the grit and the grime, washing the physical dirt off our bodies. I, I think maybe it's a way that we try to wash the concerns, you know, the ground-level difficulties, the, the moral ambiguities we find ourselves in, even the personal grubbiness we might feel about ourselves, to wash that away in hope of starting a new day with a fresh beginning. We may not need to have a shower to make us physically cleaner, but we we need them to make us feel better, to make us feel less dirty about ourselves for a whole range of reasons. Except it doesn't really work, does it, just having a shower? But do you know that if you've turned to Jesus, you are not dirty, you're clean. Your whole body is clean, your soul is clean, you are completely clean. Clean from the sin that you may have done, even clean from the sin that might have been done unto you. What a wonderful thing that is. 
And that's why Jesus says to Peter, man, you've got to let me wash you if you want to be with me. Because I'm about cleaning people. That's what I do. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that only because Jesus will die on the cross in our place for our sins can he cleanse us completely from them. In fact, by referencing this in the context of a Passover celebration which commemorated a sacrifice that cleansed people from their sin, sparing them from the judgment of God, John the author is making it clear that it's by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross we will be spared the judgment of God because we are clean in his sight. Just as the water cleaned the disciples' feet, so Jesus' blood cleanses us from our sin. In fact, another clue is that the, the word that is used in verse 4 for taking off his outer clothes, literally, it's he laid down his clothes. It's the same word that's used in John 10 when it says, as the good shepherd, he laid down his life for us, his sheep. Such good news. Well, it causes the ever-enthusiastic Peter to pipe up in verse 9. Then, you know, wash my head and my hands too. I'm with you all the way, Lord. <laughs> you know, my dad didn't really pay me enough attention as a kid. So I'm after a bit more of that male approval. Soap me down, Jesus. Put me through the deluxe car wash. I want to be shiny. And it's a bit hard to, to work out exactly what Jesus means in verse 10 when he says, a person who has only had a bath or who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. Just give me your feet. But I think when you put it all together, what Jesus is saying is that when you come to him, he gives you a complete cleansing once for all, for all your failures, past, present and future. And yet part of the Christian life, part of following Jesus, means you come to him all the time, as we've even done this morning, humbly confessing our sins, saying to him, I know you've cleansed me completely once for all through your death on the cross, but I have messed up again. Please forgive me. And he will say, you are clean, friend. You are clean. Now, this only happens if you, if you come to Jesus and you humbly accept his gift of cleansing. You, you can't be too proud and say, look, thank you, but I'm just going to, um, you, you can't wash me. Uh, let me look after myself. Uh, pass me the sponge. I'll clean myself up. In fact, actually, let me wash your feet. That seems more fitting. That's the way it ought to be. But we can't clean ourselves up. And it doesn't work like that. Being proud is not the answer. In fact, being proud is the greatest obstacle. And I wonder if Peter's response there in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet, Lord, is actually more about his self-righteousness than it is about his personal embarrassment. Isn't it true that there are times we are tempted to think that by our own endeavours and in our own strength, we can earn Jesus' love? We can make him proud of us. We can prove that we are worthy of him. But you know that's not how it works. Neither does it work, um, by the way, if you just sort of look the part. Judas looks the part, doesn't he? And what Jesus has just done for Peter, he also offers to Judas. But Jesus knows that Judas was going to betray him under the influence of Satan. And, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks' time. That's why he says in verse 11, not everyone was clean. But really, friends, let me ask you the question this morning. Have you come to Jesus for cleansing from your sin? Even if you've been sitting in church for decades, have you actually done that? Those sins that you might have done, those that might have been done unto you. 
Because if you have, you know that you are clean, like completely clean, uh, holy soul clean. But if you haven't, can I ask you humbly, is it pride that's stopping you? Uh, maybe you don't think you're dirty. Or maybe you think you can clean yourself up. Maybe you think you could never actually be clean. Friends, what could it really be when you see how Jesus serves? Secondly, uh, for today, from verse 12 onwards, um, we see that we are to serve one another. Firstly, Jesus serves. Secondly, then we serve. When Jesus finished washing his disciples' feet, he sat down and told the disciples to serve one another. Read along with me in verse 13 and 14 love you to do that you call me teacher and lord and rightly so for that is what i am now that i your teacher and lord have washed your feet you should also wash one another's feet i've set you an example that you should do as i have done for you at one level when jesus washes his disciples feet he's doing something we simply cannot do ourselves cleanses us from our sin only he could do that and yet he's also doing something that he clearly wants us to do, which is to serve one another. If he, the rightful Lord and teacher, can humbly serve his followers, his subjects, his students, it's not too much for them to do the same for one another. Because the student's not better than the teacher. The servant's not greater than the master. If the teacher can do it, so can the servant. If the master can lower himself to serve, so can the servants. Now, I don't reckon this is all that difficult to understand in theory. But you've got to admit, you don't see it very often in practice, do you? It's not a great feature of election campaigns. But, uh, but we ourselves, I mean, we don't walk into fast food restaurants and offer to wash down the tables for the 15-year-old pimply guy who's having a bad enough day because he's got to say you want fries with that and his voice is breaking. Difficult. You know um, when you go to the mall... It's always a terrible experience, isn't it? Just parking. And uh, you have a cheeky donut from Donut King. I know you do that. Is there a part of you that goes, yeah, Donut King, that's talking about me. I'm the Donut King. It's my place. See, it's got my name on the sign, Donut King. It's talking about me. So I'll have a uh, double cream, deep fried, artery clogging donut with extra icing on top. Don't be too stingy with the sprinkles do it because I'm the donut king I don't need to say please you're just lucky that I'm here in my donut kingdom now where's my donut don't often hear about people serving one another you hear and see people demanding things from one another isn't that basically how our society has come to work great American industrialist called John Rockefeller. I didn't realize he was, he's considered the wealthiest American of all time and possibly the richest person in modern history. He said this, every right implies a responsibility, every opportunity an obligation, every possession a duty. I look at him and think, man, if you're that rich, why aren't you smiling? <laughs> but interesting, isn't it? We're all about our entitlements. We'd much rather talk about our rights than our responsibilities. But with Jesus, it doesn't work like that. Verse 3, have a look. Jesus is the one who came from God into his powerful hands. God entrusted all things. And yet our Lord dies 
for sinners, serving us in that way. And then it washes the feet in a scandalous act of humble service and then says, I've set you an example. I want you to do what I have done for you. So after we come to Jesus for cleansing, we need to take on board that if Jesus, our King, can serve those lower than himself, we can too. Of course, if you haven't come to Jesus for cleansing, please don't do the humble, proud thing. You know the humble, proud thing? It's very confusing. It's where you, you serve others because that's your proud way of saying you don't actually need Jesus or want him to clean you. I'm too proud to accept Jesus' cleansing. You can tell that by the humble way I serve you. Very confusing. Don't do the humble, proud thing. But if you have come to Jesus, tell me, how do you plan to serve others, even those who are lower than you? It's said of Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist in the recent eras, at least in the white Western world, that when people came to his house for dinner or whatever, he would shine their shoes. I reckon that's about as close uh, as you can get in our modern culture to physically washing someone's feet you shine their shoes and I know that stories tend to attach themselves to the great ones and surround them like an aura and sometimes it's hard to work out if it's actually true but sounds like it could be true I'd really like it to be true it's a very poetic way of thinking about it but truthfully many of us serve don't we on on boards uh, at schools in local clubs and uh, many of us serve others in our work of various kinds, paid and unpaid, developing ideas or technologies or services or offerings that serve our society or future generations or the environment in really exciting ways. I want to say thank you for doing that. I'd really like to encourage you to, to give yourself fully to those pursuits. I guess when we think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, the most obvious way we think about serving like that is serving at something like the soup kitchen. That seems like a direct line from what Jesus does. It's true. If you think about it, Jesus is talking about washing one another's feet. I think he's really talking sister to sister, brother to brother, Christian to fellow Christian. Um, not even just service generally. So I think there are people that are doing this sort of stuff all over the place here. I mean, our growth group leaders, for example, week by week preparing studies, getting their homes ready, buying the bickies, you know, leading the studies, taking pastoral responsibility for people who may or may not even turn up that evening. And even if they get discouraged because the study didn't go well, you know, someone hijacked it with oversharing or no one shared at all, they'll still do it again next week. I think the growth group leaders, they're people who who are serving just as Jesus instructed them. Thank you for doing that. Or you think about the musicians, you probably don't realize they play across three services. You know, that's morning, afternoon, and evening, and rehearsals on Thursday night. They're people that have decided to serve. What about the sound and data people up the back? Man, they're like ghosts until something goes wrong, aren't they? And they've got to wrestle tricky technology, and we expect them to do it instantaneously. Thank you people who've decided to serve, all sorts of ways. You want to clap them, you clap them. Hmm. Chapeau. Uh, if you're looking to wash one another's feet, I think, why wouldn't you think of, at least think about joining the kids' church team? I mean, could, could you imagine a more important way of not just serving people who are literally lower than you because they're shorter, but actually 
importantly, the next generation of Christians, think of a more important thing to do than to share with them the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amazing. Uh, you might just serve by being friendly to people who are friendless. You might think to yourself, oh, I've done service in the past and I am just tired and frail and my knees don't work and all I can do is pray. All you can do is pray like, wow, you pray. Lord knows we all need it. Fathers, I actually wonder if there's a special word for you here this morning in terms of serving. I know so many of you do a wonderful job serving your families, providing for them materially. I know mums, you do it as well. But I think, Father, that's often where our thoughts about service end. What if we took responsibility for getting our crew along to church and kids' church and talking to them about Christian things and praying for them and, and praying with them and just not being so passive in our own Christian lives and in our Christian leadership of our family, leaving it all to the mums? What, what impression do you think it will make upon your kids, upon our kids, if they see us dads serving at home? and serving in the church. I would have thought a powerful one. Anyway, opportunities abound. And uh, something you've got to throw around over a cup of tea at morning tea time or in discussions in growth groups during the week ahead. Jesus serves us, so we actually should go to him for cleansing, but then he bids us serve others. So we should get on with it. You see what verse 17 says? The blessing doesn't come from knowing about it. The blessing comes from the doing of it. And I hope that really motivates you to start serving if you haven't already. But I hope it actually encourages you to keep going if you are. If it is good enough for our teacher and master and Lord, it must be good for us as well. Now as we finish, last week we heard from David and Leonie Painter, some of our heroic mission partners. Uh, and not that they would think of themselves like this, I'm sure, but there's a couple that have put into practice what Jesus instructs us here in John 13. I remember some years ago, David telling us a story of teaching in the Bible college in the capital Phnom Penh, when at the graduation ceremony one year, all the students took off the shoes of the teachers and lecturers and washed their feet, just like Jesus did in this passage. And though he was touched and moved by that, he asked the question in his mind, would they do it for one another? What a good question. Well, Jesus, the Lord and teacher, served his subjects and students by washing their feet. Scandalous, humiliating act of service in that day. But even more scandalous, scandalously, when he died on the cross, he died in the place of all those who are not too proud to turn to him in faith that we might be clean, whole and soul clean. And just cannot finish without asking you the question again. Have you turned to him for cleansing? And if not, what's your answer? And if you have, will you have the ongoing humility to come before him and just admit that you've messed up again and be reminded that you are clean? And the ongoing obedience to come before other people to serve them. I have set you an example, says Jesus, that you should do as I have done for you. I'm going to pray very briefly and then Nathan's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that the Lord Jesus cleanses us from sins, those we have done, those others have done unto us. Help us all to come to him continually for cleansing.
and to know that we've been made clean by him. And all those of us that have come to him for cleansing, I pray you put it on our hearts, not think so highly of ourselves, that we cannot come before others to serve them. We pray that we might do both of these things for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Thanks, Nathan.